So I am um, always glad for the help. Um, somebody said many years ago, if you, you don't need to bark, if you have a dog, do it for you. Um, I, used to say, I used to say I don't need to cook because I had Julie to do it for me, but then I got my comeuppance because summer before last, she had surgery on a rotator cuff and turned into the cook. And I found out there was a lot to it. And it was a, it was a, it was a humbling experience. And, um, um, it could have been a weight losing experience, but because um, I didn't do a very good job of it. Um, anyway, um, and we had a pastor. We, Julie and I sat under the teaching of a pastor in Roanoke who was a Scotsman, and he used to say, "Let us be upstanding to the reading of the Holy Word," and uh, and so let us do stand, as our brother Dan says, not for the reader who is me, but for the text, which is Luke chapter four, verses fourteen through thirty. Uh, most people are using phones, but if you're using a pew Bible, it's page 1021, page 1021, if you're using a pew Bible. Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus' uh, ministry, as we heard, in Nazareth. This is the word of the living God. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. But he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this portion of your word. All your word is valuable. It's profitable to us for teaching and instruction, for a proof. Um, uh, because it's all inspired. And so we pray that this portion today uh, would touch us so that when we go out of here, we're changed from how we came in and so that we are transformed 
by the work of your spirit through the preaching of your word uh, to be more, less like ourselves and more like you, our great Savior who died for us, and in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Taking a little break from Galatians, Dan on Wednesday was not feeling well and asked me if I had something ready, and I said, yes, I, I, I did. If you've been in the ministry, I think 17, 18 years, whatever, and did preaching before that, there's a, a bank in there. So I told him, I gave a couple of different um, suggestions, and he, um, he liked this one, so I decided to preach on it. This, this, uh, the title is Jesus' Gospel Message, and this is a, um, a crucial text for a number of reasons. It's Jesus' first recorded sermon. Uh, it's not in the other Gospels, and uh, if you think of Luke starting in 4, where we are, 14, all the way to almost chapter 10, is a section on um, teaching and miracles. Uh, Luke emphasizes a doctor, so he emphasizes miracles, emphasizes teaching, emphasizes the, the work of the Spirit. Um, a number of different emphases. Important point in covenant history uh, with the good news proclaimed to the Gentiles. And then something else, it's, it's, a, it's a picture, it's a, a little a view that we have inside the synagogue the Jewish synagogue. Um, some of our practices actually date back to the synagogue, even in our worship service and the details, um, as well as the background of the Old Testament that our brother Chris did such a good job with uh, um, teaching the kids. These are all important to understanding the passage. So if you're taking notes, the first point is the Messiah, Jesus himself. The Messiah, Jesus himself, will bring redemptive renewal. Jesus will bring redemptive renewal. Um, you've probably seen uh, fairly often, at least I see on TV, these um, clips where they'll have a, a service man or a service woman. Somebody comes back from being overseas and there's a surprise arrangement made at a school or in a neighborhood or whatever. And there's a, there's a big homecoming for the person and a lot of celebration. Um, uh, some of you know Joel Acevedo, who is at the church where uh, that Chris prayed for earlier, um, Alexander Presbyterian. He's from Chile originally, um, is, uh, has been here for close to 20 years. And a few years after he had moved up here in 2004, he and I took a trip to, a uh, missions trip to Paraguay and Chile, and we went back to the town he was from. And the, the reception was tremendous. I mean, he preached at several different places. There were all sorts of festivities. It was, it was a real homecoming for him. And what we have here is Jesus, who has been brought up in Nazareth, coming to preach at the church in the town where he grew up, just as Joel went back to Chile and preached there. Now, you'll notice in verse 14, Jesus has already started his public ministry because it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. No word of mouth, obviously, no, no internet. Um, and he taught in their synagogues. So, so Jesus has been teaching, uh, Luke tells us, and he's in Nazareth. So he stands up, and, and he stands up to read. Now, interestingly, it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. I remember the first or second church Julie and I were in right after we were married uh, in the late 70s. The pastor made the remark, if Jesus was in the synagogue, it's, um, it's at least an argument for us to be in church. I think there's probably a good deal of truth to that. Um, but he's, he's in the synagogue, and in the synagogue, um, the, the um, a male member who was uh, chosen to, to read would stand up, and then, unlike 
us today where I stand up to preach, the person would sit down to teach. So Jesus stands up, and the attendant hands him the roll, and as we heard, he reads from Isaiah 61, a well-known text, um, connections to the service, so servant songs, and also a connection all the way back to Leviticus 25 and the year of Jubilee. We won't go into that here, but you can read it, Leviticus 25, uh, 8 to 17. Now, the quote from Isaiah that we heard in this text and also in Isaiah 61, which was read as the Old Testament text, um, pro prophesies a marvelous work of redemption for the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. The anointed one will preach good news, which results in redemption, and he will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is, is the year from when Jesus came until the second coming. Uh, people get sometimes wrapped around the axle about what are the last days. We are in the last days. We've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. Remember, a day is like a thousand, a thousand years is like a day for the Lord, right? So we are in the last days now waiting for the second coming. We have the old covenant, right, looking ahead to Jesus, and then we're looking back at the crucifixion and resurrection and the ascension, right? And we're looking ahead to the second coming, so that we're in the year of the Lord's favor. Inauguration of an era of the coming kingdom and the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And it's no accident this is recorded in Luke, who has a particular concern for the sick, the poor, the disadvantaged, the down and out. Think of some of the other accounts in the Gospel of Luke, the healing of the leper and the paralytic man with the mat in chapter 5, the widow at Nain, uh, or Nain, some people say, in chapter 7, whose son has died and Jesus raises the son from the dead, and of course the one that almost everybody in here I'm sure knows, the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan in chapter 10. The quote from Isaiah, the quote from Isaiah promises salvation and redemptive renewal from the Messiah, that is, from Jesus Christ, to those who trust and believe in him. What do the scriptures tell us about, about God's response to us? Romans 4, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God called Abraham, right, out of, uh, out of the land of Ur. You are Ur in the Chaldees. Abraham was a pagan, had no idea who God was. Called him um, out of there and he says, Abraham believed God, Paul says in Romans, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Scripture is very clear that, that, that um, when we, we confess Christ and believe in our hearts and follow him, we will be saved. Um, now when Jesus, so, so Jesus has, has proclaimed this and he sits down, it says, verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And everybody's looking at him, right? At the end of 20. And then what does he say? Well, just what our brother Chris told us, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I, I think the old King James says it's been fulfilled in your ears. Uh, it's been fulfilled in your hearing. So as we heard in the children's sermon, he's, he said, I'm, I'm it. I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one you've been waiting on. Now, now look, we need to step into this setting because we know the end of the story. And because we know the end of the story, sometimes we don't step into it and say, okay, what was this like? What was this like to be there? Remember, 
as we heard, 700 years is the prophecy. 700 years, that's a long time. 400 years. 400 years since the end of the Old Testament and, 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 and the book of Matthew and, and, and John the Baptist and the, and, the, uh, and the Gospels. 400 years. Now I looked this up. 400 years ago, 1624, Virginia, the, the London Company lost its charter for Virginia. London Company had founded Jamestown. And Virginia became a royal colony. 1624, 400 years ago. That's a long time. Think of what's happened. And, the, and the, the, the Jewish people are there waiting, 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 waiting. And then one day, this hometown guy comes in and he says, I'm it. I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one you've been looking for. He says, I'm the fulfillment of those scriptures. I'm the anointed one. He proclaims he's the ultimate fulfillment of the words of Isaiah. The long-awaited Messiah, foretold hundreds of years ago, now is here. The day that they've waited for has come. I mean, imagine that jolt. You're sitting there, this, this um, uh, man who's 30 years old, uh, Luke tells us when he starts his ministry, uh, is, is standing up, reads the word. He's grown up there. You've had associations with him. You've seen him. He's been in the village. And he says, I, he says, I'm the Messiah. I'm it. I mean, think of that. Just think of it for a minute. What, what a jolt it must have been, an astounding declaration, and one that causes a stir and a reaction, as we're going to see. So the Messiah will bring redemptive renewal. Now, second point, the Messiah's declaration is met with unbelief and anger. First thing is the 22, they marvel at the words, is not this Joseph's son? Um, one commentator says, when Jesus preaches in the synagogue in Nazareth, the people are impressed with him, though not necessarily persuaded. Yeah, I would say so, as, as we're about to see. Remember Naz, uh, Nathaniel in John chapter 1? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? I mean, it's you know, there, there, was, there was significant doubt. And so what's Jesus' response? He said, well, you'll, verse 23, you'll guide me to, you'll, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What, you've heard, what we've heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. In other words, we want to see you do a miracle. Not, not unlike Herod, chapter 23, after the arrest of Jesus, remember? He goes to Herod and Luke records that Herod would like to see him do some sort of a miracle but he doesn't. In fact, I, I think I'm right about this, that Sinclair Ferguson said that um, Herod was one of the few people to whom Jesus didn't say anything at all. And then Jesus presents two accounts from the Old Testament. So not only has he made this bold declaration, but now he's, he's, he's going to have the bellows, the bellows on the fire here we're about to see. He's not only made this bold declaration, no prophet is acceptable, he says, in his hometown. And then we have two examples from the Old Testament. People undoubtedly expecting, well, he's going to talk about David, or they may have been David, Solomon, this high point in Israel's history, the dedication of the temple. And no, what does he talk about? He talks about Elijah, the prophet from 1 Kings, and Elisha, his successor, from 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, if you've read through Kings or if you were here when we did the sermon series on Kings, 
these are dark times in the history of Israel, right? Ahab and Jezebel, two of the most wicked people ever to sit on the throne in the northern kingdom, right? There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself over to sin, Kings tells us. Terrible, terrible people. And, and, and Naaman, Naaman, the commander of an enemy army, the commander of an enemy army. So these are two people. The widow at Zarephath, to whom, whom Elijah, um, uh, uh, whose, whose son he brought back to life and for whom Elijah provided, is an outsider. She, she's, not, she's not a member of the covenant family. Neither is Naaman. Na Naaman's, Naaman's a pagan, right? And so what does he say? Elijah was sent to none of them. Uh, he said there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. He didn't go to them. He went to Zarephath. In, in another place, the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, but only Naaman the Syrian. Remember Naaman had leprosy? And he, um, he didn't want to go, he said, well, there are good rivers in my country, I don't want to go in the Jordan. Um, uh, people who've seen the Jordan River have told me that they can understand why he didn't want to get into the Jordan River, but he didn't want to get into the Jordan River, but he did, and right, he was healed of his leprosy, remember that? And, and he was converted. Uh, widow of Zarephath was, was a destitute widow, was about to die. Elijah was sent to save her. So what, what, what's he doing? Okay, he's saying, these, are, these, these were outsiders. It, it, it's, it's a misunderstanding, uh, my brothers and sisters, if you, if, you, if you think that people could not get into the covenant community in the Old Testament if they weren't Jewish, they could. They were. They, they, they could come in. But what Jesus is saying is, this is about to be opened up to everybody. And the people are in the, you know, the people in the synagogue are like, you're not letting them in, are you? You're not talking about this. Well, and, and, and how do we know? Because he says, it says, when they heard these things, all, verse 28, 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Very different reaction from what my brother Joel received when he went to Chile. Very different. They were filled with wrath and they, they were infuriated. They reject him and his teaching. So the reaction is one of unbelief and anger. So when we hear the word, we either respond with faith and we confirm that, or we respond with unbelief. We either respond in faith, yes, this is, or we respond in unbelief. I mean, these are, these are churchgoers, we could call them now, right? They're in the synagogue. And their response is one of anger and unbelief, so they threaten to kill him. Jesus' declaration is met with unbelief and anger. So, here's where I want to spend a little, little more time. What is our response? Our response must be joyful belief. Our response to the preaching of the word must be joyful belief. Joyful belief. What is your response and what is my response to preaching when it challenges cultural assumptions? Human cultures distort reality, one commentator says, right? Because the only, the only reality is the reality we have in the word when it challenges cultural assumptions. They can change, can't they? Um, 
I found a photograph of myself from when I was probably, I'm guessing, uh, four or five months old. I think it was in the, the summer of 1954. Yes, I'm going to be 70 this year, and my older sister is eagerly awaiting, awaiting me to join her club. Um, but um, I'm in a room, and everybody in that room, except for my mother and my grandmother, has a cigarette or a pipe. You, you can barely see my face in the back of the photo because it looks like a fog bank in San Francisco rolling in. I mean, there's just smoke swirling all around. No, no telling how much secondhand smoke I consumed that evening and, and many others because guess what? In the 1950s, everybody smoked. This is, this is not an advertisement for smoking. I'm telling you not to smoke. But I'm just saying that was speaking of a cultural assumption. And I, everybody smoked. And there I am, about this big, probably like Juliet back there, maybe not, maybe, and, and smoke all around me. What happens when those cultural assumptions are challenged? What's our response if we have ideas which may not be biblical? How do we respond? Or when the preaching challenges us to deal with, quote, respectable sins, end quote. We, we, we like to sort of pick and choose, don't we? I do. Um, or when it makes us defensive. Um, one of my seminary professors said that we become defensive when we don't think we have something to learn. We become defensive if we don't think there's something to learn, even if it's, yes, I disagree with you, but I won't be disagreeable about it. Um, there may not be a lot of people in this room who remember uh, John Gerstner, some of us will. Um, uh, he was a, I think he's been in heaven almost probably close to 30 years now, but he was a professor at Pittsburgh Seminary and an author of an apologetics book. Um, and um, he, um, Fred Rice, I'll bet you remember, uh, John Gerstner, Doji, yeah. I, I knew there'd be somebody in here who did. Um, John Gerstner used to say, do not, do not start to talk to somebody about your particular persuasion until you have represented that person's position to his or her satisfaction. Often we just start right in, don't we? But wait, wait until that person says, yes, you, you, have, you have explained my position accurately. So, so, so what about those challenges? I mean, people in the synagogue that day were challenged. They were challenged to accept that Jesus was telling the absolute truth about himself, but they didn't believe it. So what's our response to preaching, and why must it be joyful belief? Well, the first thing is we have a God who is faithful to keep his promises. There is not one promise God has made that he has broken, not one single one. How many times do some of us say, I will pray for you and we forget to do it? God never forgets that. God never breaks his promises. So, so the promise, as our brother Chris said, out of Genesis chapter 3, was fulfilled. The second coming is just as sure a promise that will be fulfilled as the coming of Christ was. It's, it's on its way. You, you, can, you can be absolutely 100% sure of it. 
So we have a God who is faithful to keep his promises. Uh, God sent his anointed one to save those who put faith in him. And that's really what Jesus says. You, you, you have to put faith in me, that I am the one, that I'm the one I say I am. God is also concerned, this text teaches us, with people from all nations, not just the nation of Israel. Revelation 7, verse 9, a lot of you know this. After this I looked. We get this little peek into heaven. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Think of that. A great multitude that no one could number. Man, what a, what a vision John must have had. From every nation, from, <clears throat> from all tribes and peoples, <clears throat> excuse me, and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. God's got people from all nations, people we don't even know about. We're, 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 a, we're a small part of the world here, people from all nations. God also chooses his people out of his good pleasure. This is love, not that we loved God, but he lo- that he loved us. What's the rest of that? And sent his son as a propitiation, that is, sent his son to die for us. Our response must be joyful belief. How do we do that? The first thing is, from this text, we must believe the scripture is fulfilled in our hearing. That is, we believe Jesus' claims about himself. We believe the Bible is true. We know the end of the story, so it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, I would have believed that day. Not so fast. We need to be careful. We're probably not a whole lot different from those folks in the synagogue. And God, by his spirit, chooses those who are his, but we absolutely have to hear the word and believe on it. What did, what did Paul and Silas tell the Philippian jailer in Acts 16? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what? And you will be saved. Thank you. Yes, you will be saved. That's the first thing. You've got to believe it. Why do we put such an emphasis on preaching in, in our denomination? Because the Bible puts emphasis on it. Hear the word. Believe on it. Jesus is there. Second, we delight that God has chosen us, sinners that we are, to come into his glorious light, to use the words of Peter, and we share that with others. Daryl Bach says in his commentary, the only way to start fixing what is wrong in the world is to start with fixing ourselves. The only way to start fixing what is wrong in the world is to start with fixing ourselves. My sister-in-law had a friend who, after his eighth job change a number of years ago, looked in the mirror and said, you know, I I think I found the problem. (laughs) I think we probably need to do more of that. (laughs) I couldn't be the problem here, could I? Yeah, you might be, or I might be. (laughs) Any of us could be. Okay, so we delight that God has chosen us sinners that we are to come into his glorious light, and we want to share that with others. We want to share that with other people. We want to talk to other people about Christ, about his greatness, about his forgiveness, about his love, about the great salvation that he offers to those who believe in him. This text also uh, tells us to have a particular concern for the poor, uh, the imprisoned, the blind, and the oppressed. 
We have five diaconal candidates who are going to start uh, their training very soon. They were going to start today. Um, that's a lot of what they, they deal with. Um, some areas where we can think about that sanctity of life for the unborn. We, we should be concerned from the moment of conception all the way to the moment God calls the person out of this world. That, that's where our ministry is, right there. From, from right here at, at the beginning to, to right here at the end of life, if it's somebody in a nursing home or at home or whatever, that's, that's where our concern is. Um, those who are economically poor, I love the ministry to the shelter. Um, Dan and I have talked about maybe trying to start a Bible study down there if we can get enough bandwidth to do that. Um, wonderful how the church came around Lady Kabamba for the five months she was with us to minister to this abandoned mother with a, an infant from another country, speaking her third or fourth language maybe in English. We, we want to do more of that. Uh, we, some of you who are new may not realize we had a, for about seven years of service in the afternoon, ministry to Hispanics. It was a bilingual service, a number of people with uh, significant economic needs, and it was wonderful to see how the church came around them to, to assist. Um, take your family to the shelter. We, we do it, um, when is it, Mark Thursday, the first Thursday of the month? Which, first Thursday of the month, okay, first Thursday of the month, we're there. Take your family down there. It may be out of your comfort zone. That's okay. Go ahead and do it. It's, 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 it's a great opportunity. Uh, some people um, have fallen on hard times. Some people, as a sister wrote to me, need the discipline and, and teaching of the Lord. But they all need Christ's love. And we can show that to them at the shelter. Single moms, widows, those in nursing homes. Something else Dan and I have talked about is when we get the bandwidth, being back in nursing homes. Um, if, if single moms in the congregation, invite them over for dinner. Take them out. In, include them in your activities. Um, widows. Um, we have several in the congregation. Um, my mother was a widow a short time, and then I think when I really sort of started understanding was when my older sister was widowed 10 years ago and just realized, I realized some of the adjustments and difficulties and challenges. Well, we want to be in there coming alongside of them. I mean, that's, that's what this section of Isaiah, what Jesus is quoting here. Um, other opportunities, but I, I really want to encourage us as a, a congregation to keep up the good work. Our de diaconal candidates to be looking for these opportunities for us to minister to those people. Jesus shows his willingness to be rejected in his hometown in order to advance the kingdom. I don't think anybody's going to throw me out on Route 29 after the sermon today. So I will, not, I will not suffer as our Lord did, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for your love for me. But Jesus was, was willing to be rejected in his hometown. Think of that. To advance the gospel. Some of you here, Kevin, maybe you and others remember Hero Hakkabord, the South African who is in Ukraine. And he stood right here, probably 20 years ago, and said this. I still think about it. He said, if you haven't lost a friend over sharing the gospel, 
you might not have shared enough or you might not have shared it clearly enough. How about that? If you haven't lost a friend over sharing the gospel, wow, I was really convicted. I still am. Jesus was willing to sacrifice all of that. Jesus preached the kingdom of God in accordance with the prophecies of the Old Testament. He willingly descended from heaven to inaugurate the kingdom, to die for his people, uh, and to, to be resurrected and to ascend, to reign forever. Um, my professor of, of Gospels, Al Mawinney, you may know who he is, Fred, I was at Westminster, he might, might have been a little bit, I'm not sure he was there when you were or not, I think he's about your age. Um, Al said, had studied Gospels all his life. He said, you know, I don't think I'll ever understand what we call the humiliation, that is Jesus willingly coming out of heaven, out of the fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, willingly coming down here to die. Think of that. Willingly to, to leave that, the glory of heaven. He said, I don't, and this is a man who knew the Greek New Testament the way I know the Spanish Bible. He, he said, I don't think I'll ever understand it. Just the, 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 the glorious Savior that we have. What's Jesus' gospel message for you and for me? Are we responding? So what's the message? Are we responding in joyful belief to this great news of salvation? Is this something that every day we delight in? Will we move out of our comfort zones to serve Christ? I suggested something to a person the other day, and I got this text back that said, you know, that I would be majorly out of my comfort zone doing that. I said, well, that, that may be where you need to be. Are we willing to move out of our comfort zones for Christ? The Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, has brought redemptive renewal. We dare not respond in unbelief and anger, but rather in joy, joyful belief and faithful service. May the Holy Spirit grant us that blessed response to our Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, there's a lot more we could say about this text. It's, it's a beautiful text. Um, we're so thankful it's here. I pray that, um, that as we hear the preaching each week, as we listen to it on our podcasts and at home, that we'll be attentive to your word uh, that, and that we, it, we will allow it to penetrate us um, into those areas, uh, maybe where in our flesh we don't want it to penetrate, so that we are continually transformed by your spirit. I thank you for this congregation and its, its um, heart for service. I pray that with this neighborhood around us, with the growing population in Warrington, um, with the, the pinch that some people are feeling from the ongoing inflation, uh, that we would uh, be looking for those opportunities um, uh, to um, uh, proclaim the good news uh, to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and liberty to those who are oppressed, especially those who are oppressed spiritually because they do not know you as Lord and Savior. There were 120,000 in Nineveh that didn't know their right from their left, you said, and yet you had a heart for them. Make us have that heart for the lost, for, for um, uh, the 
those who are down and out, and for those who, like us, need you. Jesus, you're a great Savior. Uh, your uh, sin abounds, but your grace abounds even more. We are thankful for you, uh, and we praise you this day uh, and delight um, in the fact that uh, we uh, will see you at your second coming, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.